Welcome to Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet with Ryan Potterack from Potterack Capital Advisory. You have unique values, objectives, fears, life experiences, and biases. Any financial professional who ignores or minimizes the importance of your story may not be able to help you achieve your ideal outcomes or hit your goals. It's time to experience the PCA difference. In this podcast, we help business executives, soon-to-be retirees, and solutions-based individuals overcome the anxiety leading up to their upcoming years. We do this by initiating in-depth discussions about the financial aspects of retirement, like tax planning and asset allocation, alongside, and often overlooked, personal and lifestyle aspects. Join us on this journey where we explore retirement from a contrarian point of view, as Ryan draws from years of expertise and guest experts to help you explore the true purpose of your money in retirement and the impact you want to make in your golden years. Now, on to the show. You always want the best, be it the best attorney, the best doctor, or the best financial professional. But while many people claim to be the best, you know there are degrees of what someone may call the best. I'm Patrice Sikora with your host, Ryan Potterack. And Ryan, come on, not all professionals are created equal, right? Uh, well, hello, Patrice. No, they're not. And I just, in case compliance says, I am not claiming to be the best, but we're talking <laughs> about what represents the best. Uh, totally forgot it, compliance. Sorry about I, that. I think in all, all of those examples you throw out there, how I might define best or better might differ from our from our audience, but we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. All right. So you've got a great story here you wanted to tell about the best of this and the best of that. Well, we do uh, we do comprehensive, holistic uh, planning for the families that we serve. And, you know, one analogy that I've found connects with people who may not be familiar with uh, this this concept is if you uh, let's say Everybody wants, yes, the best investment person, insurance person, the best attorney, the best CPA or tax advisor. Mm -hmm. uh, however, for the best outcome for people in our audience, uh, so many big decisions overlap with these various disciplines. And so the comparison I make is, let's say you were going to redecorate your living room, Patrice, and you had an unlimited budget. So I'm going to I'm going to write five blank checks that you can hand out to five of your best friends or whoever you choose. So you give a blank check to one of your friends to get flooring. If they want to fly first class to Italy to get rare marble, that's good. Uh, you give another blank check to uh, to a friend to shop on your behalf to get furniture, another one to get TV, electronics, all of that sort of thing. Uh, another friend might uh, have a blank check to get whatever I'm forgetting that you know I'm forgetting. But bottom line is you cannot communicate once you give out these five blank checks to these different chosen people to shop for the best in the world in each of their categories. Then they come together and they can't speak to each other either, but then they come together and they put together your living room and oh. invite you in. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm already getting very bad, bad pictures in my mind. Well, if you look it up in the dictionary, technically it's called a hodgepodge. Yeah. And uh, so you can have the best of everything is the point, but unless it's coordinated, unless it's integrated, it's probably not going to be the best outcome. So I think of situations like, okay, take, for example, a 401k or IRA, which has unique tax classification, which the CPA or the tax preparer might be involved in. But what does somebody in our audience invest their IRA or 401k in might be an investment decision. 
And then thirdly, how they have the beneficiary set up. Do they have a trust? Do they have children? Uh, do they have special needs children? So the beneficiary is really an estate planning decision, somewhat of a simple example. But I found so many times in my in my work that we many people go through life and make isolated decisions that in that silo appear to be perfect, you know, logical. And then what I bring is kind of the big picture lens to all of those decisions they've made through the years and see where there might be some disconnect, some inefficiencies with regards to fees and sometimes strategies that are competing with each other. And again, not giving the client the best outcome. Then how do you pull it all together? Well, first of all, it requires the information. So early on in our process is getting, you know, the the tax returns and investment statements and wills and trust, getting all of the actual information, the real hard copy, so to speak, although we're, we're virtual, but getting all of that information and then coupling that. Uh, so I would say that a lot of that information I just cited is, is quantitative in nature and it's contracts. And I've reviewed hundreds of wills and trusts and, the, and tax returns. But secondarily then is a thorough questioning of the, the client or the prospective client it's seeking to, because when we think about those documents or the investments that a couple owns uh, or, or what particular strategies they put in place, they're all with the intent of bringing about what that couple in this example want to achieve in their life. But sometimes there's a disconnect, but I don't understand you know, how I would know that there's a disconnect unless I actually asked questions and listened to what you know, Mr. and Mrs. Jones want. And so when I have that information, that qualitative information and you know their hopes, their dreams, their frustrations, their biases, all of that sort of thing, then I can step back and look at, okay, how aligned are their strategies, their advisors? Because typically those advisors don't talk to each other. right? And so I facilitate that where appropriate to coordinate with the attorney that they've chosen or the, or the tax advisor. So it, in my view, it's just, it's time and, and a significantly important step that we take that just isn't taken very often. Because when you do, Patrice, when you have that information, qualitative, quantitative contracts and documents, uh, it it really flashes like a red light, some of the area or yellow light, <laughs> depending on the seriousness of it, as to what areas need a little bit more attention. Now, I mean, I likely don't have the correct answer immediately, but it sets up a situation where following up with the client in conjunction with the uh, specific advisor in whatever the situation, the applicable situation. And it just leads to all of us being on the same page, serving the Mr. and Mrs. Jones. And that's the way that it should be. Do you have a network if if the Joneses were to come in to see you and say, we have this, but what do we do with it? Do you have a network that you can then plug them into? We do with, uh, and there's, there's different licensing issues um, in the attorney world, you have to pass the bar in every state that you serve people in. Like, whereas for me, you know, we, I can work in all 50 states with investment planning and everything that I do. Uh, but if I'm working with a client who's in Missouri or Utah or, or New York, I, you know, I, I don't have a personal relationship in all those areas. So one of the, one of the things that uh, we negotiated earlier this year is a partnership with uh, 
a firm called Wealth.com that has that network nationwide of approved attorneys, as, as well as kind of an interactive software that's very, very unique to help people either create or update wills and trust, healthcare and, and durable powers of attorney, living wills and all of that sort of thing. So that's really augmented our network on the on the estate planning side for some of our clients that, that don't live in areas where I have where I do have some relationships. And then with the accounting or CPAs, they can also work nationwide. So we have CPA relationships. Uh, as long as a person, let's say, living in Illinois doesn't mind working with a CPA that might happen to be in North Carolina or vice versa, uh, then we would we would have that uh, that network as well. Now, by this very nature of my process and how I work uh, as a wealth manager, it's given me a tremendous knowledge in the estate planning area and in the tax code area without being a CPA, without being an attorney, just repetition and lots of different cases. So much of uh, the planning can be done by me and the and the couple or the client. And then when there is an actual document that needs to be drafted, such as a will or trust or estate planning documents, at that point, it's pretty clear and it's pretty easy work typically in most situations for the attorney. Jumping a little bit not quite off the track here, but this all seems to reflect on the word fiduciary. What does that word mean to you? To you, what does that word mean? Well, it's uh, in the industry, it is doing what's in the best interest of the client, which I always find interesting because the best interest of the client would be I do all this great work for free. So it's kind of like, well, what's the best? People have different views of what is the best interest. But the key at being a fiduciary is, is there, does the person giving the advice have conflicts of interest? That's really at the, at the core of it. So if I'm working with a client that's simply paying me a fee for what I know and the time to share it with them, share with them what I know, then there's there's no conflict of interest. They're paying me for my time. I share my point of view. I, I make uh, recommendations and suggestions. They either act on it or don't act on it. Uh, but whether they act on it or not, I, I don't I don't benefit and I'm not harmed. So mm-hmm. no conflict of interest. Now, when it comes to choosing investments in the financial industry, the fiduciary approach typically in the industry, and we also work, in this type of a model for for clients quite often actually is where a client pays me or my firm a certain percentage of the of the money that we manage so we proactively manage portfolios IRAs Roth IRAs joint accounts whatever and when you pay an advisor or fiduciary professional based on a percentage of the account values that they're managing then that that advisor wants exactly what you want. Uh, in, in other words, it doesn't matter if they put your money in ABC fund or XYZ fund or this stock or that stock, bonds, annuities, whatever. If they're compensated on the account value, then everybody wants the account value to go up. Client's happy. The advisor's happy because they get their percentage on a bigger pile of money. If it goes the other way, uh, you know, and the account values go down, obviously the client isn't happy and neither is the advisor, but it do, it's totally disconnects 
product choice and uh, uh, transactions from that interaction. So what I've found is as a fiduciary, particularly with prospective clients that have a history of working with commission-based financial professionals, whereby a commission-based financial professional is paid based on transactions. Now, commission is not inherently wrong or or right. We've all dealt with commission, probably buying a home, buying a pair of shoes at the mall, et cetera. But the issue is if the client buys something, that's what triggers the compensation. Uh, and sometimes buying choice A over choice B can affect that compensation uh, as well. So even if a financial professional is entirely noble, and operating in the best interests of the client, uh, just true north, still having uh, a working on a commission-based compensation structure, there's an inherent conflict of interest whether that affected the situation or not. Also, with a you know a client that's been used to that, and they know that the advisor's paid if this is sold and that is bought, they might wonder, gosh, I wonder why my advisor did that? Was it truly for my best interest or or might they've got a commission or, you know, selling and buying? And it just human nature could be uncomfortable to ask that financial professional if, if they, if they earned a commission. So typically it's just not talked about. And I, in all of this, it should all be out in the open, but as a fiduciary, not compensated based on transactions or particular investment strategies, you know, that's, that's really key where the client can, can understand, okay, this person's truly working in my, in my best interest and has no financial conflict of interest. Ryan, are most financial professionals fiduciaries? I don't know the actual statistic. It's moving fast in that direction, but I would say that, so there's fiduciary only, fee-based only when it comes to investments, and that's the territory that we are in. Then there's commission-based only with securities. And for many, many decades, that really was the only right. way yeah. of, of distribution. The the fee-based way is probably about 25 years old. But as we as we talk today, Patrice, I'd say that the the majority in the industry are actually hybrid. And and so they they do some commission work, they do some fee-based work. And there, there definitely can be situations in which a commission-based approach can can work well for the for the client, but a lot of that is just because it's it's historical in the industry. I think the median age of a financial professional in my industry is right about my age. It's fifty six or fifty seven, and you know, twenty five years ago was about the only way that anybody operated. Right. Uh, so it just kind of it, it lingers, but the industry is moving definitely moving towards fee-based only because from a compliance standpoint, when there's conflicts of interest in a litigious society that we live in, it, it creates some problems sometimes. Which brings up another question. How does a client know if there is a, a conflict of interest? Well, the shortest route to uh, that answer is simply asking the financial professional, how are you paid? Uh, now it, it would be in all of the, you know, um, the paperwork. Like we, yeah, it would be in the it would be in the paper paperwork. We have a wealth management agreement that we have people sign and I sign, and it's kind of rules for the road, and it makes that 
clear if a person understands the language and or and takes the time and not everybody wants to do that but i think quite simply uh with any financial professionals just ask them how they're paid and then listen and see their body language and all that sort of thing and, and flat yeah, out I'm, ask them are you paid a commission try and figure uh, out what they're saying yeah, yeah. just being I, I guess forthright i'm not trying to disparage financial professionals believe me but how many of them will come right out and say abc I, as you say, you often have to see the body language. The what are they really trying to tell me? It's a great question, Patrice. It's a it's a bit delicate because there's approximately three hundred and fifty thousand financial professionals out there. So you like any other profession, they're they're kind of all over the map. I think with regulation and compliance today, the, there's a much stronger and with and with the internet, the internet brought about the ability for our audience to do their own research. And I think that's led to some accountability where accountability may have been missing. Now, at the same time, it's an ocean of information where, you know, amateurs out there doing research, uh, you can find just about anything on the internet that that you may choose oh, yeah. to, to believe. <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, it, it would be a violation in, in the industry simply to not tell the truth to, to questions like that. So I would expect if asked, it's just people don't ask. I mean, that's, People don't ask, but I would expect, you know, really every financial professional to answer that. Now, I think many of us in the audience um, can kind of know when somebody might be less than candid. Um, so keep it on point, but that's simple. And one of the, that's why when we start out, I have an initial conversation with a prospective client, literally in the first five minutes, I ask about their experience in the industry and if they've had that, how how was your advisor paid? And I got to tell you, Patrice, I get I don't know an awful lot of the time. Sure. So if I if I have that initial you know thirty minute conversation, just getting acquainted with somebody, they know exactly how our firm is compensated before they get off. I want to make sure that we get that right out front. Right. And you were just mentioning, you know, you can go on the internet, you can do your own research. What about those people who say I can do my own research? I can manage my own money. I can do a better job and I don't have to pay you anything. Yeah, well that could be a that could be a great idea. I wonder if they change the oil in their car too. <laughs> uh you know if they if they need heart surgery, I wonder if they just open the kitchen drawer and see which knife should fit the deal. I mean, it, it, there's just a huge difference between a professional and an amateur. Not that the amateur would know necessarily because none of us know what we don't know. Uh so one of my one of my favorite quotes is if you think a professional is expensive, wait till you hire an amateur. Because if a do-it-yourselfer doesn't hold themselves accountable, I mean, there's not a situation where the left side of their brain is questioning the right side of their brain. I, you know, may, maybe this is not a good idea. Maybe this is stupid, uh, but I'm going to do it anyway. I mean, there's no critical thinking going on there. Typically, there's no different perspective that I think is valuable in a whole host of areas in our life, but staying uh, staying on on point, it's it's just not being held accountable. A do-it-yourselfer might say when the market's going good, well, I'm doing pretty good. My my issue would always be compared to what? Because right. when we were in college and, and maybe even before that, we were graded on the curve. And, and that's really when it comes to investment performance in many other areas. If the market generally is up 20% in a particular year and, and the do-it-yourselfer is up 12%, the do-it-yourselfer may feel great, great about 12, but relative to 20, is a, a laggard. Mm -hmm. and, and vice versa, if the market's down 20 
uh, and the do-it-yourselfers down down 25. I mean, it's it's really relative. So that's an aspect of it. But it's also why we're we're very successful working with do-it-yourself investors because we also have a fee-for-advice business model. We don't have – our client doesn't have to have accounts with us in order to benefit from our expertise. Uh, just paying for time as they would with an attorney, a physician, in effect, a CPA. And then that that advice is, you know, do-it-yourselfers like to maintain control is their main issue, predominantly men. And one of the one of the antidotes to the do-it-yourselfer that I share with them is if, if they're married, I say, well, you know, what if you happen to die first? Uh, who would manage your money? And they, and then I get that deer in headlights look where they start thinking, oh yeah, Mrs. Do-It-Yourselfer who doesn't have any interest in this stuff is now managing all of these accounts. She's going to need help, but yet she doesn't, she can't discern between a good advisor and a not so good advisor possibly. And she's going to go out to the wolves because that Do-It-Yourselfer has for some reason does not respect what a good financial professional does or they wouldn't be a do-it-yourselfer. So when they envision Mrs. Do-it-yourselfer going out on her own because the do-it-yourselfer passed away, then that starts to make them nervous. And it starts to set a stage where, okay, maybe I can talk to that individual where we can have, again, a fee-for-advice relationship. The whole, both uh, spouses are familiar with me and we go along and it's it's really a bridge, a peace of mind bridge, you might say, if that do-it-yourself were to pass away and what that spouse requires is just simply different. Right. Ryan, have you ever had someone come in and say, okay, I was doing this myself. I really messed up. I need help. Uh, yeah, that brings about two thoughts. One is, you know, we work with so many people transitioning from paychecks to playchecks. So, you know, from maybe in that 55 to 65 oh, okay. zone. Yeah. And however, if, and that's a very important time because there's all kinds of strategies and big, big, big decisions. But it, sometimes if they come to us kind of in within a year of retirement, it's like triage. It's like, oh, gosh, you know, I, in my head, I'm thinking, well, gosh, if you only here like five to 10 years ago, we certainly could see this coming. Um, so so that can present some some challenges. The other example that comes to mind is I've had do-it-yourselfers working with me on a fee-for-advice basis and We'll do, and this had a, had a client fairly recently, in the last six months, where we would meet once a year for a few hours and, and review a situation. And I would make, you know, recommendation A, B, and C. And he's like, yeah, that's all. That's a great idea. And most of it's tax planning that, that we're doing with in situations like this. And then we'd follow up the, you know, the next time, the next review and the do-it-yourselfer didn't implement it. Oh. So it's a, it's, it's a big thing, I think, with do-it-yourselfers is they pay attention to their portfolio or the decision-making kind of when it fits around everything else that they're doing in their lifestyle. And implementation, I said to the client, I said, if you were working with us holistically and we're managing your portfolios, those opportunities would not have passed by. And, and we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars uh, in, in missed opportunities in tax planning. And once, you know, once the calendar year is done, you, you can't go back in time and put the strategies in place that would have made that significant difference in that that one example. So that's the that's a gap I see sometimes with do-it-yourselfers is that they they just don't follow through and implement 
uh, where if I'm if I'm managing a portfolio and and basically the CFO for a household, and my compensation is based on protecting and growing their wealth, I can't miss those opportunities if they're paying me because any day that they wake up, they can fire me and and move on and not pay my fee any longer. So there's a real accountability in that situation. Going back to comparison with the commission based advisor, you know when a commission based advisor gets paid on a transaction. There is no ongoing compensation, um, so they have no incentive to be proactive and stay in touch and those kinds of things unless there's another transaction down the path. Uh, very, very different for the work that we do. Well, Ryan, we're uh, coming to the end of this podcast. Is there something we have not mentioned yet that you really want to make sure we get in? Yeah, I, w- I guess I would say that there does have to be a, in my view, there ne- there needs to be a connection with that person. So same as a, you know, if you move to a new community and you, you need a physician in that area, you need to feel comfortable with that physician. You need to feel comfortable with, with the dentist. Uh, you know, anytime you're talking about a professional where the service is largely intangible, there's a human element to it uh, where, you know, I know that I need, I need to feel, I need to have somewhat of a connection. We don't need to be best friends necessarily, but there does need to be what, what was referred to in the medical community as kind of a bedside manner. And that's and what each individual client is searching for certainly can be different. I'm just suggesting that the advisors, the connection with the advisor is going to go beyond the numbers, their planning, brilliance, et cetera where you can really feel confident and trust and have a good gut feeling, Patrice, uh, even in that initial uh, interaction. All right. What would be the best way for listeners to reach you, Ryan? Well, they can always call our office uh, 704-366-5776. They could go to our website, www.potterack.net. Potterack is P-O-T-E-R-A-C-K.net. And then we're out there on uh, on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook as well. So we're not too not too hard to find. All right. Well, listeners, follow this podcast. No reason not to now, that's for sure. This will tell you when the latest episode is ready for you. And please share with others. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. To ask questions about topics covered during the show or get a copy of Making It Count, Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet by Ryan Potterack, visit www.potterack.net or give us a call at 704-366-5776. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Potterack Capital Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Potterack Capital Advisory does not offer legal or tax advice. Please consult the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstances. Nothing contained herein is to be considered a solicitation, research material, an investment recommendation, or advice of any kind. The information contained herein may contain information that is subject to change without notice. Any investments or strategies referenced herein do not take into account the investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific person. Product sustainability must be independently determined for each individual investor. 
Potterack Capital Advisory explicitly disclaims any responsibility for product suitability or suitability determinations related to individual investors.